on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning.
Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you today. It is a beautiful, it's, it's fall in East Texas, which will soon turn into summer again, then a little bit more fall, and then more summer, and then January 3rd is going to be winter, and then we'll be back in spring again. So that's the weather report. So last year I used to guess whether the Dallas Cowboys were going to win. I was always wrong, so I was told not to guess anymore. So, yeah. That is so, I mean, why are you using a Hebrew word? Do you even know Hebrew? So be it, yes, okay. You know what, amen's better, or yeehaw, or something Texan like that works too. Well, welcome, welcome to Carpenter's Way. So good to have you here today. We have a lot of visitors as we have some family dedications in a moment we're going to do. And uh, we want to tell you we're glad you're here. And uh, as I always say, we want you to like us, of course. We hope you feel at home and comfortable. You like our coffee. But we really, 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 really want you to fall in love with Jesus. That's our hope and our prayer for you. So thanks for being with us today. Uh, we have been, about last year and a half or so, we've been doing a study uh, called It's Personal, Not Business, about what is the church and why did God birth the church, and what are we doing together here, and how did God organize her. And uh, over the last eight weeks, we, it led us into a study of seven letters that Jesus wrote to churches in Revelation. We finished that last week, but I'm going to do a summary today, just some personal observations about that and how it affects Carpenter's Way. So we're glad you're here, and we want you to feel a part of everything, except one thing, and that is that we're going to take an offering in a few minutes, and that is for those of us who attend here regularly. If you are uh, a visitor, just pass the plate as it comes by. We don't want you distracted by money. We're just glad you're here, and uh, thanks for being with us today. Uh, if you would open your worship guide, Carpenter's Way. I want you to look at a few things. Lots of announcements. Next Sunday, for those of you who've been visiting a while and are interested in learning how we organize the church and how decisions are made as well as what we believe, or interested in becoming a member, next Sunday morning we have a, what we call Carpenter's, uh, what is Carpenter's Way class or new members class, or we used to call it Carpenter's Way 101. Uh, that will be next Sunday in the uh, library as you come in. Uh, we'll set it up in there. And the first hour, uh, it, it goes from 9.30 to about 11.45. And the first hour uh, is led by the elders, and they go through how our church is structured. Then the second hour, Jeff uh, Bonin and I run that, and we basically go through the teachings of the church, what we believe, and you can ask, ask questions. So this is if you're interested in learning more about Carpenter's Way or if you're ready to become a member, this is how you do that. So that would be next Sunday. I want to remind you that what we do on Sunday morning in here is important, but it's not everything that the most important thing we do is build relationships with each other and spur each other on to love and good deeds. And we do that by building relationships in smaller groups. Uh, we have some Bible studies that take place before church on Sundays, some during the 11 o'clock hour. And on top of that, we have men's Bible studies going on during the week and women's Bible studies. We want you to be a part of that. And uh, even if you're not a part of Carpenter's Way, we want to encourage you in your relationship with God. Carpenter's Way is not nearly important as you and God. We're here to support that. So we want to make that clear. Uh, and, uh, and you are welcome, whether a member or visiting or uh, whatever, whatever status you find yourself, you're welcome to join us in that. That is all the announcements I'm going to take time for today because we got a busy day today. And uh, I think we're going to go ahead and take our offering at this time. And uh, then we will have Alicia come up and, and uh, introduce you to some families that we're going to pray over. Uh, so if I can have our ushers up at this time. Um, again, if you're visiting, thanks for being with us. If you're watching on the Internet, we want you to grab your Bible. You'll be able to study with us in a moment. And uh, I'm going to commit our time to the Lord. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this place, this, this old building that we can turn into a gathering of your children and encourage each other. Father, I thank you for the people you brought in here today. Uh, it is our prayer, Father, that those who know you would be encouraged, that those who don't would be introduced. 
And for the rest of us, that we would be spurred on to continually show love and do good deeds and, and to reflect your value system as we live our lives in this culture. God, we are aware that everybody brings into this room uh, baggage and burdens, and uh, we ask you, Father, to carry those. Uh, Lord, I, I want to pray uh, for some in our church that are serving down in South Texas, especially in Shepherd this morning, that are ministering to folks. We pray that you would be with them, protect them, encourage them, that their ministry would be uh, powerful by the, by the value and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, forever family members that are visiting with kids in college at Parents Weekend, be with them and bless them. And Lord, we just ask you now to bless us too. Thank you for being here. Thank you for loving us personally. And uh, speak to us now and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Alicia, why don't you come on up? We're going to keep the lights that, that way. And Alicia's going to introduce us to some families. Well, good morning. Uh, it is my privilege just to be able to share with you the desire of the heart of three families. And before I call y'all up, I just wanted to, sh to share a word of encouragement with you. You know, we see in Scripture the model of Mary and Joseph dedicating Jesus in the temple, the importance of how that is in committing their child to the Lord. Well, uh, we um, echo that sentiment. Uh, also, we don't Typically, churches may call it a baby dedication. Well, Carpenter's Way, you know, we don't do anything normal, right? We um, call this special dedica dedication family dedication because we realize that, um, and parents realize not only are they dedicating to their child, but they're dedicating themselves to following God's ways and living a, um, a Christ-like example in front of their children. And so I just wanted to share briefly, we know that the psalmist got it right in Psalm 127.3. When he said, children are a gift from the Lord, they're a reward from him. Not only when they're little, but when they're three and they're learning that to add that no word into their vocabulary, they're still a gift. When they're uh, entering uh, preteen, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, starting to get a little bit of an attitude, they're still a gift. When they're a, a high school student driving, see you later, mom. See you later, dad. They're still a gift. At every life phase, our children are a gift to us. And so how do we, okay, we understand that, we see that. Yes, David, we see that, we acknowledge that. But how do we live that out? How do we find our encouragement and strength? Well, the Bible's very clear. In Deuteronomy, I just want to share briefly, Deuteronomy 6. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. So we're always teaching, aren't we? It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's what we do in between Sundays that really matters. And so... Um, don't lose heart. I know it's tiring. We're there with you, Jeff and I, our family of three. And, um, but the Lord is so faithful to walk with you every, every step of the way. Just commit your way to him. And so thank you for realizing that and for being a part of that. And um, our Carpenter's Way part, we commit to you as well to come alongside you, to pray with you, to encourage you. And part of that encouragement is a gift that we have for your family. So Jack and Sarah and girls, if y'all wouldn't mind coming on up and standing here to my right. This is Jack and Sarah Stevenson, and they're dedicating their three beautiful girls to the Lord this morning. 
You can come down here, Abby. Come stand on the floor. <laughs> this is their, their three precious girls, Abigail Marie, Emily Elizabeth, and Amelia Ruth. And I have a gift for you. Nick and Kelly Thomason and their two precious children. Mr. Ryan, come stand right here. And Miss Reese, I have a gift for you, buddy. Your very own Bible. And then Leslie and Trent Cook and their precious little one, Miss Laney. We have a gift for her. So you're never too young to start in your training, are you, in uh, directing um, and introducing the love of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, are never too young. So enjoy your gift. And uh, Pastor Mark, if you would come forward. Thanks, Alicia. I'm going to ask our elders, both uh, lead elders and shepherding elders, if they would come up, and uh, we're going to lay hands on these families. Uh, as they do, I want to remind you as a flock that it is so easy in this culture when families struggle, and every one of these families will struggle, right? Yes, sorry. <laughs> but every one of these families will struggle, and they will go through those phases. And our culture says that you're supposed to point, lean back, and say, bless their hearts. And that's a way of being arrogantly going, I'm sure glad my kids aren't like that. That's not how the church is. The church lifts each other up. We pray for each other. We encourage each other because it's going to happen to us too. And because the Lord has us help working together to raise families and, and build each other up. So as you see these families, hug their necks. Even if they don't know you, introduce yourself. Pray for them. And as they grow up, God willing, in our youth ministry and all the way up through, and you watch them graduate, all of the things that we do fit together. From VBS to graduation services that Jeff and Mark lead, these are our people. These are our responsibility to lift them up and pray. So let's, uh, let's take a moment. Let's pray together and ask God to bless these families. Father, we uh, are thankful for the church and how you designed her. Uh, Lord, uh, in our culture too often, we, we look and sneer and at times envy or look down on each other. Uh, that is feeding our flesh, Father. These children are a gift from you, not just to their families, and to their extended families, but to us as a church as well. They are a sacred trust to disciple them, to grow them up in the knowledge of you. I thank you for these parents that were willing to stand up in front of this church and say, we want to raise our kids in the honor of the Lord. And in a way, in a Christian home, an embassy, we ask you to bless that desire. We ask you for wisdom for mom and dad as they make decisions for their children. For the children as they grow up in a, in a culture that's, that's full of temptations that feed their flesh, we pray that they would fight those, that the Holy Spirit's voice would be louder than their desires. I pray for us as a church, Father, that we would wrap our arms around them, that we would support them and encourage them, that we would not be a critical place, but we would be a place where families can come and safely raise their children, whether they're easy kids or rough kids. May we help them uh, and encourage them and lift them up. We love you, Father. Thank you that you love children. Now bless these families. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Go. 
together. It is your breath in our lungs, Father. 
This belongs to you. It's your breath in my lungs. It's your book. It's your absolute truth. It is not negotiable. Salvation is a gift from on high to any man, woman, or child who wants it. And I have to confess this morning as we sing that song, I think about the times that we have taken ownership of the message as if we can change it. And it is our prayer, Father, this morning, it's my prayer, Father, this morning, that your truth would reign in this place. That your Holy Spirit would convict the hearts of man and encourage the hearts of man. That you would transform us from the inside out, not like, the in, not like often we try to do it outside in. I ask you, Father, this morning to help me do my work. That in fact, I wouldn't worry about my work, that it would be your work that would be accomplished this morning in the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this room. For our children, Father, as they go to their programming now, we ask that your Spirit would speak to them at a young age, that they would come to know you and walk with you all the days of their life. For it is the fruit of our lives that is going to impact this culture, not the rhetoric from our pulpits. So may we live like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In a book entitled, What Americans Believe, the Christian sociologist George Barna reveals a study that shares several truths that kind of fit where I want to talk about, set the stage for our conversation this morning. In this book, he cited that 64% of Americans believe themselves to be religious. Three out of five Americans, that's just under 65%, say that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. One of three Americans actually claim to be born again. Half of Americans, 50%, claim that their Christian faith is relevant to the way they live. And yet, only 28% say that the church they attend is relevant at all to their lives or even their Christian lives. So this morning, at the end of a long series of conversations about the church, and then the last few weeks asking the questions, who do we want to be? I want to take our time this morning to talk. I want to talk about this multi-billion dollar industry we call the church in our country that has had this program called Christianity down for about 100 to 150 years now. In fact, we have our own bookstores. We are a lean, mean, religious machine in this country. We have our own political movement. We have our own moral issues that we battle. We have conferences that deal with every issue you can think of, from family issues to church growth, to fundraising, to programming, to security, to leadership. We have our own think tanks that deal with everything from evaluating and establishing leadership styles to growing bigger facilities and growing numbers. As a business, the church has has, uh, mastered the art of creative ministry, looking at unique creative ways of making people think God's okay. That maybe he deserves a second look at a new, hipper, more efficient, tattooed millennial Jesus. To look again at his church that's up to date and demands very little commitment on your part. It's just a new way of living, man. A new worldview. In this new church, you can have both God and your flesh. And over the past couple of months, we've taken a step back and we've looked at what God says about His church. The seven letters we've looked at in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 actually have God writing personal letters through the Apostle John 
to seven literal churches and sharing with them what's on his heart, what he observes, what he sees, what needs to be improved, and what they're doing well. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1, I really feel like as we talk about this, our minds go to churches that we've been involved in and Carpenter's Way and Bible studies, and we immediately begin to think about leadership and decisions and, and where the church heads. And I think partially the way we react to God is because we don't really understand who it is that we're talking about. We struggle with this. Jesus Christ presented himself to us as Emmanuel, God with us, for 33 and a half years. And he presented us to us something like that picture up there on the wall as a normal dude who understand the sufferings of life and, and walked around. But we don't understand what God felt it was necessary for John to understand when he began telling him about these letters. In Revelation chapter 1, John records this, It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard a loud voice behind me, a voice that sounded like a trumpet blast. It said, write down what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, to Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. When I turned to see who it was who was talking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands was the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were bright like flames of fire. His feet were as bright as bronze refined in the furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was as bright as the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I am the first and the last. I am the living one who died. Look, I am alive now forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will appear. This is the meaning of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. I know it's not gold. Bear with me. The lampstands are the seven churches. In order to appreciate the seriousness of these letters, written by Jesus, written down by the Apostle John, and described for us in this vision, we have to understand that the senior pastor of every biblical church is Jesus Christ. It's not the reverend who preaches. It's Jesus. He is the one that evaluates the health of his churches. Not some think tank out of Nashville, Tennessee. Not those who are evaluating the income. Not church planning experts, but Jesus Christ, who is not just our Savior, which is where most of us leave him, but he is also our Lord, the King of kings, ruler of rulers, the creator of all that is, he is the one who sustains all life by his will and his power. He is the one who is not only the truth, but a witness to that truth. As we've been studying these letters, he witnesses to the truth and will judge the response of people to that truth. This one who wrote the letters is the only one who really matters. And I think 
that most of these churches we just read about, and I think maybe the church today has a tendency to forget that. When John sees Jesus Christ in all of his glory, Jesus is walking amongst lampstands. He's walking in and out of these seven churches. Jesus Christ is saying he is fully aware of exactly what's going on in the churches, outside of the churches, the culture and the, and, the, and the things happening inside of the body, what's being taught, why things are done, what the programming is about, as well as what's going on in the community around him. And I don't know about you, but in our study, I was amazed at how personal each letter was. He identifies himself, especially with Laodicea. Last week when we looked at that, so many of us grew up hearing about Laodicea, and he would rather we be hot or cold, and hot means on fire for Jesus, or he'd rather us be unsaved. That's what we were taught. But when you look at the context of that city, you realize that's not what he's saying at all. He would rather us be on fire and radically committed or a cool drink of water soothing people with the truth of Christianity than to be lukewarm. And because we don't often look at the context, the personal nature of these letters, the reason God is writing, we have a tendency to miss the point. He pleads with that church that he's standing at the door and knocking. If they'll just open the door, he'll provide a meal. Jesus Christ is fully aware of what takes place in these churches. He introduced himself to them in personal ways, and he dressed each of them in personal. In these letters, Jesus refers to these churches as the candle aubers, and I keep mentioning it because it's important that you understand this is what the church is. That's the church in and of itself. It's just a piece of furniture. But what does a candelabra do? It holds light. It holds light. And who's the light of the world? Hint, it ain't the church. Our job as a body is to simply hold up Jesus. Not Carpenter's way. Not moral relevancy. Not political parties. Not an agenda that we wish was this culture. But our job is to hold up the light of Christ, offering the hope that Christ offers to anyone and everyone that will listen or that we live around. That as our life is transformed, we naturally lift up the light of Jesus. Most of us grew up in a culture where we were taught how to witness, and that is very important. But if you don't live it, why would you witness to it? Witnessing is not the Romans' road. It is sharing testimony to that which you've experienced. And as you look at these letters, in most of these letters, we forget. Well, we forget what 2 Corinthians 5 says. Look what, we have a tendency, okay, and I think it goes back to the late 1800s with the evangelism movement. D.L. Moody and these great, uh, you know, uh, Billy Sunday, and these great evangelists. Very important work that they did, but their message crept into the church, and every Sunday became about evangelism. So we began believing that the only relevant spiritual question to be asked is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because we began to believe that the problem with people is hell. And I want to make it clear, the problem with people, even unsaved people, is not hell. That's a location the problem with the unsaved is they do not have a relationship with their creator. This has always been about relationship. Ephesians 1.5 says that God's unchanging plan was to adopt us into his family. This is about relationship. All right, I'm about to throw a tantrum. It's not about heaven and hell. Heaven and hell is important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And we've lost that in the church. 
Even our evaluation of our success is based upon how many people got saved this week or how many people is coming. It was never about that. It's about whether or not we are witnessing to the truth that we've experienced through the transformation of our lives. Personal transformation. Not by self-will, but by God. Look what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. Christ's love controls us. He's talking to believers. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. What's our old life? Living for our own whims. Children of God, we still have flesh that wants its own way. I deserve a better wife. I deserve better children. I deserve better looking preachers. Not nice, but you think it. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve a church with a steeple. I deserve a church that doesn't have bad ductwork or bad drywall work on the walls. I deserve, we deserve hell. We have been given a relationship, an adoption into the family of God, and that changes everything. This message that we preach in every church that claims that the word of God is their final authority is not about the local church, it's about Jesus Christ's church. And our prayer, my prayer is that we will only last as long as we're effective. And the day Carpenter's Way takes her eyes off Jesus, I pray that he shuts us down. We don't need another church where Christ is not the center. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone. So those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that <clears throat> excuse me, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against us. And now he has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. It is a wonderful thing that we're not going to hell. But that is not the end of our journey with God. In fact, it's just the beginning. That's why Jesus referred to it as being born again. It's the beginning of a new life. We as a church are the lampstand. We are not the light. And there's a lot of confusion in that in this country, in Christianity in America, because this country was started by Puritans, by many of them were Puritans, and their cry was, let's be a city on the hill. I just want to say, that's Israel. Israel was supposed to be the city on the hill. And I've got news for you. This country will never be a city on the hill. The church will. We are the lampstand, and what do we do? We hold up the light. Remember that song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know when they changed it. It was cuter as kids. But <laughs> the fact is that we hold up the, line, uh, the, the lamp. <clears throat> Jesus talked about not putting it under a bushel, but letting it shine. Think about this for a second. Would you just, just think, because I, I can't say it enough. What is it that's giving off light? The wick, the light itself. Too often, we get in the middle. We want to be better. We want a new building. We need a new pastor. We want better music. We want better children's ministry. Why do you want those things? Because it will attract more people. If we attract more people, they're just going to go to hell in our family. 
I'm not saying that we don't want growth. I'm saying that if our goal is growth, and that's how we evaluate our health, then we are evaluating our health exactly how Satan wants us to evaluate our health. Satan wants us to evaluate our health by things that we can manufacture, talking about God, but without God's power. What God wants is us to lift him up. Do you understand the difference? The danger is in our culture, Christianity, religious Christianity, looks exactly like the spirit-filled life, only without its power. And we were warned in our study of 2 Timothy about that, that a day will come when we will have a form of religiosity which, without the power of God. It is wonderful that we're not going to hell, but that is not the end of our journey. We as a church, as I said, are the lampstand. We are the lampstand for the light of the world, Jesus Christ, not merely by what we say, but by how we say it, and even more importantly, how we live it out. So I want you to listen carefully. What happens out there as we live our surrendered lives, putting off our wants and our personal goals? I, I, I want to address that for a second. Somewhere along the line, I began to believe as a young man in the church that if I was tempted, I was sinful. Well, let me now as a theologian make a couple things clear. You are, uh, uh, by nature, under the wrath of God because you have a sin nature. You are going to, Scripture says, as a dog returns to its vomit, be drugged towards your flesh. That's how it is. When your wife gets on your case, men, you're going to want to fight. When your boss treats you unfairly or this culture dogs you, you're going to want to push back. That's just life. But the Holy Spirit gives us the desires to do what God wants us to do even when we're tempted. A couple specific examples. Maybe you're struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm not going to stand up here and say that isn't real. It is real. But you don't have to act on it. Maybe you're not married and you long for a sexual relationship or intimate relationship outside of marriage. Everybody longs for that, friends. Maybe you're married and there's somebody showing attention to you or you're investing in pornography or whatever it is. Maybe your issue is gossip. It feels good to tear other people down, especially if you feel empty and irrelevant. Your spouse, maybe. It feels good. This is not about what it feels like. It's about deciding that your life belongs to God, that you no longer live for yourself, that you've been bought with a price, and you're going to do your best to surrender your life to him. This is about real transformation, not from the outside in, like is religious, but inside out. So God gave us this, because that is a tiresome, wearisome, and impossible task for us to do. Because even in this room, as I mentioned earlier, as these kids get older and you have the fear of raising your own kids and your own grandchildren and they're struggling, one of these kids start acting out, the tendency is to lean over to your spouse and go, I'm sure glad our kids aren't like that. Well, I got news for you. Somebody else is saying that about you. We do it in Walmart all the time, don't we? Guy walks in with boots, shorts, no shirt on, and a cowboy hat, and you go, <laughs> redneck. The truth is, that's the flesh. The Spirit says, how can I help? How can I pray for you? Let me come alongside and assist you. That's what's radically different, and that is the fruit of a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's not preaching. It's not the gospel presentation all the time of Romans. I'm not saying either of those are bad. I'm saying that we are talking about a genuine life change. We, because it's so difficult, we come together on a regular basis and this is what's missing in the church. Not to evangelize the lost, 
but to remind each other that we have been found, that we have been purchased by God, and that our job is to be a lampstand to Jesus Christ. And we help each other by confronting and uh, talking with each other. We remind each other that this will be over in less than 100 years. Stay on task. Why did God give us the church? Because we need the church. We need to come together as brothers and sisters and spur each other on. Look what Ephesians 4 says is the purpose of the church. The responsibility, and he's talking about leaders, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and our knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they actually sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we can affirm. Doctrine, truth from his word. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. In other words, as we go through life and wonder who's on our team, you don't have to worry about God. He's going to keep his promise. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The reason we gather is not to reach the lost. We go out there to reach the lost. As you leave this building, there's a big sign above that says you are now entering your mission field. You don't have to go to Guatemala to be in the mission field. You just have to walk out the front doors of this building. Your home is your mission field. Your neighborhood is your mission field. Your political gathering is your mission field. Well, no, I go to political gatherings to make a political statement. Not if you're a child of God. You may be there to agree with the political group, but if you leave having only made a political statement, you have missed your purpose in that gathering. Our Father has blessed us with each other because we need each other. But we need to remember that we, as we gather that we have not been simply adopted into a, a great life after death, but we have actually been adopted into the family business. And that family business is tiresome and scary. We are the lampstand of our daddy. And he got killed for his message. Somewhere along the line, if you're visiting today, please sign up for Carpenter's Way 101 next week. I want you to understand, if you came to Jesus because somebody promised you it would make your life better or easier, you were lied to. Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is a battle that we find ourselves in. Men and women, as we've talked about this last year, getting saved is easy and it's free. It will cost you nothing because Jesus Christ took that price on his body on the tree. But being a disciple of Christ, being faithful, being a man or woman who is an actual ambassador to the kingdom of God, that will cost you everything. Your very life, your flesh, your desires, your rights. You give them up to Jesus for his purpose in this life. We have work to do inside of our gatherings and outside. And we've not been left to simply 
figure that out on our own. This, this book, this, this word we've been given has offered us specific instructions on how to do exactly what we're called to do. The plan, process, and purpose of the church is laid out in this book, and that's what we've been studying this last couple of years in our series called It's Personal, Not Business. But here's the thing about these seven letters. As we've had the chance to listen in as Jesus has a conversation with the church, as he evaluates uh, them, we learn some things. And in the time that we have remaining, I want to share with you some observations that I made. First of all, these letters we've been looking at in recent weeks, we learned that a healthy church is not necessarily the most culturally savvy church. You can have 15 services with 15 types of music so that everybody gets their taste. It doesn't make you healthy. These seven letters reveal how God values health. In these letters, we found that the culturally savvy church of Pergamum or Thyatira, who had both worked hard at blending Christianity with cultural religions and cultural mores, so that they wouldn't offend culture, actually offended God. He's jealous for his church. He's jealous for his truth. We learned that a healthy church is not necessarily the one with the busiest people, the most programs. In her busy, busyness and her great programming and strong doctrinal foundation and purity, we learned that the church of Ephesus had stopped loving God and each other. Finally, we learned that a healthy church is not necessarily one that starts well. uh, Sardis had transitioned from a movement of God to a monument of the past, and they simply lived based upon what had been. And Jesus tells them that they better wake up fast because their church is almost dead. And let me tell you, when Jesus Christ writes you a letter and says that you are about dead, that's not good. In the limited time we have remaining this morning, I'd like to share with you five observations, five things that stood out to me over recent weeks as we looked at these churches that I think we at Carpenter's Way need to pay attention to. We need to keep focused on. And I want to make clear why we decide what we decide and how we function. Number one, we're going to be a, for us to be a spiritually healthy family, you and I as individuals are going to have to be spiritually healthy. In other words, going to church, being a part of a Bible study, having a testimony of when you went to VBS at five and walked an aisle. Those are fine, but they don't make you spiritually healthy. Attending every week, being here, giving, having a nice building, having air conditioning, and having lots of people who gather doesn't make us healthy. That's not what makes us healthy. We will be a church as we are as individuals. If you gossip, we're a gossipy church. If you're arrogant and prideful, we're going to be arrogant and prideful as a church. If you love the needy, we'll be a church that loves the needy. If you support missions, we'll be a church that supports missions. If you're obedient to God, then we as a church will be obedient to God because we will only be as a whole as you are as an individual. This church is not run, and, and the pastors, the elders, can set the table of buffet for you. You have to choose to eat. And I'm pleading with you. I want to be a part of a church that's healthy. Walk with God. 
That means that some of you are going to have to put your pride down and love your wife or your husband, no matter how stupid they are, or you think they are. Ladies, I know you're tired raising your kids. You're right, that child, two-year-old kid is probably demon-possessed. It's your job to pray the hell out of them. It's your job. I'm tired. I know you're tired. Sunday school teachers, you're going to have to study the Word if you're going to pass it on to your people. Men, you want your family to be a family that's led by God? You come up here and you said that today? You're going to have to lead your family. You want your kids to know the Word? You need to know the Word. Well, I'm 45 and I don't know it and I'm too old. No, you're too lazy. Different question. You want us to be a church that knows the Word? Know the Word. You want to be a church that ministers to people in crisis situations? Minister to people in crisis situations. You want to be a church that loves people that may be from the backwoods? Love people from the backwoods. We are not some monolith thing that's the result of our white papers. We are what you are. Secondly, many of the churches we have studied simply let their teachers and leaders teach whatever truth they want without any accountability. If we're going to be a healthy church for generations to come that, that hold to the truth, then you cannot simply trust anyone who has the title of pastor, including me or Jeff or anybody else. You cannot trust anybody with the position of elder just because they're teaching you or your Bible study leader because you love them. You must compare what you are being taught to the Word of God. You've got 13 of them, dust one off. Know the book from cover to cover. If we're going to be healthy now and into the future, you're going to need to know the Word of God and how to study it for yourself. 2 Timothy 3.15-17 says this, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, the very breath of God, and is useful to teach us what's true, also to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. The Word of God is your protection. It is the cornerstone by which everything taught or preached or sung in this church must be measured. If you do not know it, if you do not evaluate what is taught in this church by it, then you will eventually drift away from it. Now I want to speak to those of you looking for a church or who go to a different church. Do not trust the person behind the pulpit. I know. You've heard that verse taken out of context. God, you know, don't affect God's anointed. Don't attack God's anointed. Just to be clear, that was under the Old Covenant and only the priests and the prophets and the kings were anointed in the Old Testament. Guess who's anointed in the New Testament? You. The word anointing is the coming up of the Holy Spirit. I'm not the only pastor in this church. This church theoretically has a thousand of you. Pastors, shepherds, men and women who are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, who, have the, who are the living temple of the Holy Spirit. Know His Word and be His temple. You don't have to call a pastor to witness to your cousin. You don't have to call a pastor to help you figure out how to minister at Walmart. Just do it. Well, I, I don't know what to do. Start by praying. If you see somebody who's struggling, how about taking 15 seconds and say, would you mind if I pray for you? And pray for 15 seconds. People will think I'm crazy. They already think you're crazy. They might as well think you're God crazy. Look, the world thinks you're crazy. That boat is out of the dock. 
They think we're nuts for believing that God would create the world. They think we're crazy for believing that, uh, <clears throat> that Noah had a boat. They think we're crazy for believing that God would allow himself to be killed so we could be saved. They think you're crazy. Who's crazy are you going to be? This is the question for the church. Brothers and sisters, know the word of God. Because of this, we will continue to have verse-by-verse message so that you can see how to handle the Word of God and evaluate whether I'm teaching it. Every other time is not going to be a lecture. It's going to be a Bible study so that you can interact with others on what the text says. I'm going to continue to encourage you to disagree with everything I teach as long as you can with the Word of God itself. I'm going to encourage you to do that. We have a rule here. I tell you, since the day I came, you could ask anybody who's been here for 12 years, I've said I'm only 70% right. It's your job to find the 30%. Usually that week I get an email saying, I hope you're more than 70% right. So I'll say, I hope I'm 99% right. But I'm not. Because I'm just like you, a journey through life. I'm just learning this. And it's your job to correct me. Like some of you did this past week. Hold on. Just a second. I'm about to humble myself. So last week when I was eloquently teaching the Word of God, in fine form, I might add, I was rolling along. And since most of you have decided you don't like me reading my messages, you want me to share them from my heart, there are times periodically where I say something a little off the wall. Well, last week I quoted Gunger, and I said that it was from the Scripture. I was ruled. That was not accurate. You think that's funny? You try standing up in front of a thousand critics. <laughs> uh, I was thinking of the verse, actually, to defend myself. I was thinking of the verse that says, God makes beauty out of ashes. Well, I said, God makes beautiful things out of dust, which is a Gunger song, and I attributed it to Scripture. About ten seconds after I said that, in my mind, I'm going, I wonder what Julie's going to cook for lunch. And then the second thought I had was, oh, that's not in Scripture, that's Gunger. Oh, yeah, Gunger just actually said, how could they worship a God who believes he'd kill his son? And then I thought, I'm going to move on because it's a distraction to me. It'll be a distraction to everybody else. So, Sunday night at our football event, about a half dozen men decided, thought it would be funny to spend three and a half hours laughing at me because I quoted Gunger. So, I am here to say that Gunger is not accurate. Don't trust them. And I'm proud of you. Don't let me get away with junk. Stuff is said. It's really funny to me because 30 seconds after that in the message, I actually said, how many of you, if I gave you a half hour, could find the verse in the Bible that said God helps those who help themselves? And you remember me asking that? And the reason nobody raised their hand is because it isn't in the Bible, but most Christians think it is. God helps those who desperately seek him, and you need to know that about the word because guys like me have a vested interest in deceiving people like you and getting you to do what we want you to do so you behave like we want you to behave so we can grow the church and we can go to conferences and go, how's your church? I went to a conference a few years back and a guy, you know, classic question, sitting down with a pastor. So how big is your church pastor? Classic pastor question. How big is your church pastor? Oh, between eight and 9,000. I said that. Think about it. This is what you call a hand grenade joke. You pull the pin, you throw it out there. Did, does anybody get what I said and why it's true? Because every Sunday there's not less than eight and there's not more than 9,000. It was great. The guy went, whoa, you're in a big church. I said, well, some would say it's big. You know, I, I don't see it as large, you know. How big is your church? Oh, I have 50 people. I said, oh, yeah. Well, I always have between eight and 9,000, so 
After about a half hour, I said, really? We had, our attendance is about 500 on Sundays. There's about 1,000 people involved. Then he was mad. Then I had to say, I'm sorry. And then I blamed it on my church. It's really hard to serve these people, and I'm confused. <laughs> Listen. Listen to what's being said, because what's being said from the pulpit doesn't matter. What's being said from the Word does. And each of you have the Holy Spirit if you're a child of God living within you, and He is speaking to you right now. This is personal. It's not corporate. What we do corporately is keeping each other accountable and keeping each other looking at Jesus, right? That's what we do. That's all we do. And then we send you out there. Whether you are a teacher, whether you are a manager at a hotel, or you are a mom, or whether you are a doctor, you go out there and do your mission, and God has strategically placed you exactly where he wants you. And it's hard out there, because you've got to minister to the person you fire if you're a boss. What? Yeah. Yeah, there's a way to actually minister to somebody. You pray for them before and after you fire them. But there's a way to love people into Jesus. There's a way. And they're going to still walk away and be mad, but our job is only to witness to the truth. It is not to convince people that we're right. We forgot that. The Holy Spirit is the convincer. We're, we're just in lifestyle change and communication, and then people, people want to know our God through our lives. That takes me to the third thing. For us to be spiritually healthy, we're going to have to risk relationships to truly mature each other and grow each other up. This is the hard one, so swallow hard. If we're going to be truly spiritually mature, we're going to have to risk relationships to grow each other up. Galatians 6 1. Go ahead and read it. Read it to yourself, and then I'll read it to you. I don't like this verse any more than you do. Because the truth is, nine out of ten times when I confront somebody over, over sin going on, they lie about what I said and how I said it and why I said it. They leave the church, they end up somewhere else in another church ministering. And I have to remind myself that it's between them and God. But Paul telling us, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It's a warning. Don't fall into their temptation with them as you try to minister to them. But if we're going to be healthy, that means we're going to have to take care of each other, and that means even the difficult stuff. And let me just tell you, what that doesn't mean is what, what my Baptist church growing up did. And that means it was a free-for-all for confrontation. That's not what this is. This is why Bible study is so important. This is why, why uh, after church, because we break this big group of 1,000 folks down into groups of 20 and 30 at the most. And you get to know each other. And as we're sitting in a group, and as Stephen and I worship together, Stephen can tell if I'm off my game. You know what I'm talking about. We're sitting in a room, and maybe I'm unusually quiet. Or he makes a joke, and I bite back at him. We, we dog each other, and something's going on. And if that happens for a few weeks in a row, because Stephen and I are buds, he can actually say, are you okay, Mark? That's none of your business. Oh, the answer is no. What's going on? Maybe you see me in the mall. I found out this morning that somebody told Chad that they saw me jogging in our neighborhood. You probably noticed how healthy I've become looking. I was okay with that until he said that I was wearing, where are you, Chad? What did they say I was wearing? Cargo shorts in my jogging. At which point I said, I haven't jogged since I was 16. I do walk, and I wear, I wear gym shorts. But the truth is, people are watching. They watch me because I'm a pastor. 
What do they see with you? The truth is, if that same person goes to Chad, I saw Mark, oh, what was he doing? Beating his wife? Chad better come to me and talk to me about that, right? Men and women, we got to have each other's back. We're our people. This isn't a religious movement. This is a movement of God. Our daddy has given us each other to take care of each other. And we struggle with stuff. Some of us prejudice. Don't leave the church. Fix it. Some of us struggle with political anger. Don't leave the church. Fix it. If you're a Democrat in a Republican culture in the evangelical church, don't abandon the church. Tell the church that God could be a Democrat. And let us wrestle through it. That's what family does. I learned that from Texans. I learned that from you. You can badmouth your family to me, but I better never badmouth your family to you or you've got a pistol in your purse ready to shoot me in the face. Even if I'm just quick. Let me see if I understand you correctly. Your brother is a drunken fool. Whoa. That's how it is in the church. I get questions a lot. I hear this about Carpenter's Way. Oh, that's interesting. Is it true? I'm really not going to answer that. That's family talk. It's our family. We protect it. And we deal with our junk inside the walls. I get a call every six months from local newspapers, Houston television stations, who want to know our view on the gay culture, transgender bathrooms, fill in the gap. And now my answer is, I'm really not interested in talking outside the church about that. That's a church conversation. As far as we're concerned, homosexuals are welcome in the family of God. If they accept Jesus Christ's offer to forgive their sins. I have one statement. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. Join us. It's free. Why would you not accept this gift? Now, once we're saved, we're going to talk. That's what that's about. And I hope you'll talk to me. I know I'm up front, and nobody likes to be confronted. Please do not confront me on my clothes. That's not going to go well. I know they're wrinkly, and it drives Julie nuts. I leave before she gets up on Sunday. It's my fault. Confront me on sin. I invite you to. If you're wrong, I'll explain. If you're right, and I'm walking with God, I will humbly thank you for loving me enough, pray with you, and we'll go on with life. But first, build a relationship with me. The first time we meet should not be about something stupid. Get it? See, Sunday school, Bible study, women's Bible study, men's Bible study, uh, Sunday night football parties, women's luncheons, men's shooting events, in case you're not clear, they're not really about bullets, food, and football. They're about family. It's an excuse to get together. That's why Chad last week invited you to his football game, so that they could for three and a half hours tease me about saying that Gunger was the Bible. It hurts. And I confront you in the name of Jesus right now. Relax, everybody. We're on number four. We're turning the corner. To be a spiritually healthy family, our individual hearts and schedules must be flexible and available to God, even if it's inconvenient or not what we expected. James 4. Look here, you say, today or tomorrow we're going to be in a certain town and stay here another year. We'll do business there and then we'll make profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's there a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. In recent weeks, there's been a lot of preachers and a lot of evangelists saying that the reason we had 
uh, a hurricane here, a hurricane in Florida, uh, an earthquake in Mexico, and, uh, and the eclipse is because God's judgment is on North America. I have another theory. Because God wanted his church to rise up and minister to people we otherwise would not have had contact with. I put on our Facebook page this last week about a group from, I think it was Georgia, that's actually working down in South Texas right now. And they went down there, and it was a group of black men from a church, and they went down there to serve the Lord, and they end up in an area that's known for its Aryan nation prejudices. Guess who's coming to Jesus? Do you think those black guys like those white guys? Nah. But it's not about who you like in the name of Jesus. It's about who Jesus likes. See, that's what it means when God loves compels us. It's not about whether or not you think it's okay for a guy to have his pants down here or their music loud or what country they come from or even if they're legal. It's about loving the people Jesus loves. That's why we're here. It doesn't matter how many bathrooms they want to use or which bathroom. It doesn't matter how they self-identify or who they're made in. What matters is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which we too were in bad shape without him. And we are here as the world cascades down into an immoral abyss of depravity, we are here to live above the fray under the power of the Holy Spirit, looking for people to minister to, and reminding each other that more important than a Sunday morning service is the direction of God and His Holy Spirit as He guides and directs us to serve and love on anybody that He brings our way. That's our job. But there is a rule. They can't disrupt. Short of that, they're welcome. Shirtless, stinky, with a Walmart bag in their hand. They're welcome. If you're black, come. If you're gay, come. Now understand, we're going to talk about truth. If you're struggling with your gender identity, Jesus still loves you and has already figured out if you're a man or a woman. If you're struggling with attraction, if you're an adult man who's had a problem being attracted to underage women. We're going to set strict rules for you, but we're here to tell you Jesus loves you. And if you want to be discipled, this is a place where you're welcome. If you want to live that lifestyle, you won't last long. Because this has always been about being the lampstand. It's not about endorsing your lifestyle or helping you feel bad because you or your heritage was prejudiced against. I'm not for or against Robert E. Lee statues coming down. I really don't care. It doesn't make one bit of difference to me. What I do care about is people on both sides of that statue knowing that outside of the pain of their life, there is hope found in the creator of the universe who sent his son to die for them. No matter what your sin, if you are Adolf Hitler, Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin. Well, how could God do that? Your husband or your wife that committed adultery, their sins have been covered. So are they saved? Only if they accept his gift. And the minute you have a problem with that, you, my friends, have forgotten from whence you came. Because in God's economy, in God's moral compass, gluttony and witchcraft and adultery and homosexuality, they're all the same. They're all the same. So if you have a problem with gluttony, ready for this? Stop eating. In Jesus' name. Well, easy for you to say, then get help. We'll help you find help. But if something owns you other than Jesus, including the King James only angry Christianity, it ain't God. And we're not here to be owned by stuff or religion. We're here to be owned by God. 
Number five. This is my favorite one. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. And I remember as a kid hearing, we have been set free from the slavery of sin. Well, I got better news. Ecclesiastes 8.15, which, by the way, is still in the inspired, inerrant Word of God. So I recommend having fun because there's uh, there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way... They can experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. So number five is we're going to party. We're going to party. In fact, I'm this week going to reserve another uh, at the Pines Theater again for another silly uh, non-Christian secular Christmas movie that probably has Santa Claus in it. And people get upset. Why would you do Santa Claus? Because he's fun at this season of the year. And we're going to do Operation Christmas Child and we're going to serve the Lord there. And we're going to have fun together doing that. And then over the Christmas season, there's going to be other events. Our children are going to have happy birthday Jesus parties, and we're going to talk the coming Messiah, and we're going to have fun. Why? Because the work of the Lord is hard. And we're a family. We're going to have the agape feast. We're going to get together, and we're going to... That night, I actually asked the Lord, and He said it was okay. We can be gluttons that night. So that's the only night of the year. <laughs> that and Thanksgiving. The whole week is like a free-for-all. And then at the first of the year in January, we're looking forward to revealing to you some exciting plans that we have. Because it's also fun. This is fun. You know, this is supposed to be a safe place where you have a rough week and you come in here and you can be kind of, what's going on? I'm fine. Stop lying to each other. And on the other side, would you pray for each other? If somebody comes in here and is having a hard time, or they look down, just say, would you mind if I pray for you? It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. I am, an ex- I am just an ex- exceptional prayer. You, on the other hand, are struggling a little bit. I know. That's because I get paid to pray. Lighten up, everybody. I'm, I'm teasing. Just talk to your daddy about stuff. And if somebody's struggling or not struggling, if the Lord prompts you to pray for him, 10-second prayers. If you pray longer than that, the person can walk away. Just pray. Look, we're family. Our daddy has put us together. He didn't ask us to do anything we can't do. All we got to do is this little metal thing right here. He's the light. He never failed. Lift him up. Talk about him. What's he doing in your life? Don't talk about the church. Don't talk about the Southern Baptist Church. Don't even explain away why your pastor is endorsing and actually, uh, you know, whatever, deifying Gunger's song. Just go, he's kind of an idiot, but he's our idiot. Just say that. It's okay, because you know what? I don't take myself that seriously, and neither should you. And we shouldn't take this building, this, this organization serious. What we should do is take God more serious. That's what we're about. That's what those seven letters were about. Because at the end of the day, some were doing well in ministry and some were not. Some were keeping their doctrine and some were not. But one thing was consistent through all seven letters. Trust me and love me like I love you. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust you and love you like you love us. Father, I know this was kind of a family conversation this morning. I pray that it was encouraging to our visitors and those watching on the internet. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring revival to our hearts. I'm not even going to ask for revival to the organization of Carpenter's Way. I pray that you would bring revival to our hearts of the people who make up this organization, this family. I pray we would spur each other on to love and good deeds. Thank you for loving us, Dad. Thank you for the children and families that were dedicated to you today. I pray that today would be an awesome day. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great day, everybody.